When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to an episode from the Inside the Boards audio blog, brought to you by Med School Tutors. Med School Tutors was founded with a singular purpose, to revolutionize the way aspiring physicians prep for standardized exams. They're the leading experts in one-to-one tutoring for the USMLE, Comlex, shelf exams, medical coursework, and admissions in residency advisement. Med School Tutors. Better starts now. Check them out at medschooltutors.com. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. I am Patrick Beeman, your host. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. Today, it's an entry in our audio blog series. We've got two articles for you. Lots going on over here at Inside the Boards. We are adding two additional podcasts to our arsenal over the next few weeks. So please uh, stay tuned for those and check them out. You can sign up for our email list on insidetheboards.com to stay updated and get notified for when that new content is released. Our app is about two weeks away from being released. It's a beta version, very simple interface, but much easier to navigate than the current setup with the Podbean app. So for those of you who are already subscribers, look forward to a much easier and pleasant experience with our audio cue bank. First up, Truths and Myths of Starting USMLE Step 1 Prep by Lauren Falcone on November 21st, 2017. Uh, This was published. You can check out both of the articles included in today's audio blog entry by clicking the link in the show notes. From the day most students start medical school, they learn about the USMLE Step 1 exam. As the months go on, talk of the exam becomes an almost daily occurrence. It's not surprising, then, that many students feel they need to devote as much time and energy to preparing for this exam as possible. For some, this manifests as weekly USMLE practice questions and frequent skimming of review books as early as first year. Others may spend their entire first summer preparing for Step 1, Some students sacrifice Thanksgiving, Christmas, and spring breaks to prepare. On the contrary, other students do little prep before their dedicated Step 1 study period. So, the question remains, what do you need to know about getting a head start on the USMLE Step 1 exam? The following offers some myths and truths to guide you through the process. Myth. Excessive early worry about the USMLE Step 1 will lead to a higher score. Students with higher test-taking anxiety generally score lower on the USMLE Step 1. A recent study found that greater test-taking anxiety was associated with lower USMLE Step 1 scores. Students with less anxiety about testing generally achieve higher test scores. 
Step one is a high stakes exam, so it's natural that students will have a lot of apprehension about this exam. However, worrying about it days, months, weeks, or even years in advance may do more harm than good. Students who are months out from the exam should try to focus on their current coursework material rather than stress about step one. For students who have trouble quelling their USMLE fears, at the very least, it is important to develop the mental strength to put them aside on test day. As a competitive runner, I often use my experiences racing as a metaphor for life's challenges. I remind students that it's okay to be nervous before the race, but when the gun goes off, it's time to perform. Stand on that starting line calm and confident, knowing you prepared to the best of your ability and be excited to showcase your hard work and talent. Myth. The longer you study for step one, the better. As a tutor, one of the biggest challenges I face is convincing students that they are ready to sit for the step one exam. All too often, students want to push their exam as late as possible to give them a few more days or weeks to study. Most students feel that more time will give them greater ability to retain more knowledge and potentially earn a higher score. But the reality is that students who push their exam to the very last minute or even delay the next step of their training to allow more time to prepare are typically not the students achieving the highest step one scores. Numerous studies have indicated that increasing the number of days studied does not lead to increased step one scores. In fact, Kumar et al. found that students who study less than 40 days in their dedicated step one study period achieved higher scores than students preparing longer than 40 days. With that said, this doesn't mean preparing early for step one can be a waste. Rather, it suggests that quality is more important than quantity, which leads us to our next point. Myth. It's okay to sacrifice preclinical coursework studying in favor of early rigorous step one prep. It is extremely important for students to learn their coursework material well the first time around. I always tell students that while they are still taking classes and studying for exams prior to their dedicated step one study period, they must make their coursework a priority. Only after they are doing well with their coursework and managing time appropriately can they start to incorporate step one prep. This means that if you are really struggling with a particular subject, it is important to get help. Talk to your professors, get a tutor, learn the material well the first time. And most importantly, don't sacrifice your coursework material in exchange for spending more time on early step one prep. It is important to have a solid basic medical knowledge before one can expect to do well on step one. QBanks and review books are designed to be just that, review sources for material you have already learned. Truth. Completion of more practice questions correlates with higher USMLE step one scores. Learning how to dissect step one questions is key to getting a high score, and there is no better way to learn than by completing many practice questions. Research supports the notion that completion of more practice questions correlates with higher step one scores. When I work with students, I challenge them to always question why they missed a question. Knowledge gap? Fell for a distractor? Read the question wrong? Students who complete more practice questions not only review a greater diversity of material, but also learn more about themselves and how to better tackle challenging step one questions. In summary, the decision on when to begin step one preparation ultimately depends on a number of factors. For students looking to get a head start prior to their dedicated step one study period, 
I encourage the use of a QBank to review questions on material they have already covered or are currently learning in their medical school coursework. It is best to set a goal of completing a manageable number of practice questions each day so as to complement rather than hinder coursework studying. It is also key to remember that quality of studying is better than quantity. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, students should focus on finding healthy outlets for managing anxiety and stress and not let it consume them on test day. Well, there's some good advice. Uh, We're doing this because a lot of you are about six months out from taking your step one examination, and we will be releasing a series of uh, four podcast shows and interviews between Stuart and myself that we recorded mostly July, August, and have not yet uh, released. And it is basically a step one post-mortem Stuart's experience regarding what he wished he had known prior to entering dedicated prep, what his actual setup was for studying, and advice on what to do, what not to do. Our next article is microbiology-focused, read by our friend Greg Rodden from the Med School Fizz podcast. You can check that out in the show notes for those who are either studying their coursework now for physiology and or starting to think about step one preparation. You should check out this podcast. It's high yield. It's quality. Greg does a great job, and he'll be joining us on the Inside the Boards podcast as one of our hosts in the upcoming months. So here we go. Hi, everybody. This is Greg Rodden. I'm host of the Med School Fizz podcast, and I'm here to help the team at Inside the Boards in their collaboration with Med School Tutors. This Med School Tutors blog post is titled, Now That's What I Call High Yield, Microbiology, and it was written by Brian Radvansky on June 27th, 2018. As I thumb through the microbiology section of first aid, it makes me a little nauseous. I'm sure many others feel the same. It's long, over 80 pages long. To make matters worse, the title of the chapter is High Yield Principles in Microbiology. These 80 pages are already the condensed version of the high yield information. So for our board's preparation, we have no choice but to condense this information further into the highest yield principles of microbiology for the USMLE. Remember, this is by no means comprehensive. That 1,000-page textbook on microbiology is comprehensive, but this is just a start. In your approach to gargantuan chapters like this, do what you can to scratch one level deeper with each pass through the material. First time through, build the framework. Next time, put some more facts into the framework. Microbiology has so many little facts that it'll necessitate multiple passes over time. Those singular facts are a lot easier to internalize with space repetition, i.e. flashcards like with Memorang. The individual fact that Enterococcus grows in 6.5% sodium chloride media, or that Strep bovis is related to colon cancer, won't get you too far. But this blog post primer will help you to go after the low-hanging fruit of the material to give you a strong knowledge base. So let's start with bacterial taxonomy. The takeaway here is knowledge of which bacteria are gram-positive, gram-negative, spirochetes, or atypicals. An age-old gram-positive mnemonic is corny actors knock back Listerine in the closet, standing for Carinobacterium, Actinomyces, Nocardia, Bacillus, Listeria, and Clostridium. And don't forget the unforgettables, i.e. staph and strep. Knowledge of encapsulated bacteria fits well here too. 
So thank you, Spleen, for clearing those pesky opsonized shin organisms, i.e. strep, haemophilus influenzae, and Neisseria. Next section is on endotoxin. More important than the knowledge of endotoxin structure itself is the gestalt of all the terrible things that can happen when your patient is bacteremic, i.e. has an endotoxin-laden bloodstream. Gram-negatives have nasty LPS on their outer membranes, and its presence in appreciable quantity in the bloodstream really, really angers your immune system. Remember from immunology that the correct answer to every question is, quote, cytokines. A shower of IL-1, IL-6, and TNF-alpha, along with other inflammatory mediators, leads to fever, hypotension, septic shock, coagulation issues, and the feeling of total crumminess. The next section is on staph and strep. These are the most classic of gram-positive bacteria, and these two are incredibly clinically relevant, and our bodies are literally covered in them. Among the staphylococci, Staph aureus is undoubtedly the most important. It causes skin infections, acute endocarditis, toxic shock syndrome, food poisoning from preformed exotoxin, as well as MRSA infections. You'll get used to seeing blood cultures come back as, quote, gram-positive cocci in clusters. That's staph, from the Greek staphule, meaning grape. Knowledge of streptococci is also super high yield. Streppyogenes lives up to its name, causing pyogenic or pus-forming infections. The most common strep infections are pharyngitis, or strep throat, cellulitis, and impetigo. These can lead to downstream glomerulonephritis, or PSGN, as well as rheumatic fever. Other pathologies related to strep pyogenes are scarlet fever and necrotizing fasciitis, all that from a single species. Another major strep, strep agalactiae, has clinical relevance for the peripartum patient and can cause neonatal meningitis and sepsis, as the defenseless little fetus passes through the birth canal. The next section is on clostridium. Collectively, the clostridium, from the Greek cluster for spindle, cause a number of virulent diseases. They're all toxin-related. The pathophysiology of two clostridia species, both tetanus and botulism, are worth knowing because of their cell biology roots. Clostridium perfringens can cause gas gangrene. And one of the greatest nosocomial villains, C. diff, can cause, you guessed it, C. diff colitis. The next section is on tuberculosis. There is a load of testable information on TB, everything from its chest x-ray findings to the cutoffs for your PPD diameters for a positive test result. You also want to be familiar with the natural course of the disease, i.e. progressive primary versus healing and reactivation. You also want to know the histologic findings of caseating granulomas and GON complexes and cavitary lesions on the chest x-ray. Treatment paradigms are also important, but we'll get to them in the second blog post on anti-infectives. The next section is Pseudomonas, another nosocomial nuisance that will come up again and again. Pseudomonas aeruginosa causes nasty pneumonias, urinary tract infections, wound infections, and more, and it's difficult to eradicate because of its polysaccharide capsule. Much of the must-know material is regarding its treatment. You'll often find yourself on rounds asking yourself, what can we use for pseudomonal coverage? Well, common options include piperacil and tazobactam, third and fourth generation cephalosporins like ceftazidime and cefepime respectively, as well as levofloxacin and carbapenems can cover pseudomonas. The next section is syphilis. The thing that makes syphilis, well, wonderful, is that it can have so many clinical manifestations, and it has good overlap with other systems, like the male and female reproductive system, uh, neurology, cardiology, etc. You want to be familiar with what primary versus secondary versus tertiary syphilis all look like. The next section is malaria, the dreaded plasmodium. 
more than just matching a specific plasmodium species to some specific cycle, you want to realize that malaria can present with cycling fever and headache, uh, red blood cells will get lysed, and you can also see the malaria microorganisms inside of the red blood cells. Treat with mefloquine and other anti-malarial agents. The next section is on herpes. The collection of herpes viruses cover many pathologies, including genital warts, encephalitis, chickenpox and shingles, mononucleosis, roseola, and Kaposi sarcoma. Be able to make a diagnosis based on history and physical for herpes. The next section is on hepatitis. You have to know hepatitis A through E, five diseases all in one. Understand the transmission, the natural course of the disease, including prognosis, and clinical findings of the afflicted. Also wildly important is the immunologic response to hepatitis infection. Spend some time getting comfortable with all those serologic markers for hepatitis A and B. There's so much to be learned from the different hepatitis B markers. A solid foundation in immunology will make this a lot easier, and working through our body's reactions to hepatitis B infection will strengthen your immunology knowledge as well. It's a delightful cycle. And the last bug in this section is HIV. There's so much important stuff to know about HIV. Start with how reverse transcriptase works and know the presentation of acute retroviral slash HIV illness. Also know the opportunistic organisms involved and the CD4 counts at which they strike. So that's the end of part one. We'll round out the rest of micro, including anti-infectives in part two. Don't get bogged down by all the little factoids. Remember to start from a bottom-up approach. Build the framework of understanding, the big picture first, and then fill in the tiny facts over time. Again, if you enjoy Inside the Boards and what we're doing to offer you free high-yield med-ed, please do me a favor. Click the link in the show notes for the Inside the Boards provider page. I want you to check out the Medical Nemonist podcast. That is the newest podcast that we have in our group of shows hosted by Dr. Chase DeMarco, who is a team member with ITB, also will become a host on the Inside the Boards podcast in the upcoming weeks and months. This podcast focuses on memory techniques and accelerated learning basically just like us to improve your board exams and reduce burnout, increase your efficiency and productivity to better achieve work-life balance. And my appeal to you now is to navigate to the medical nemonist, spelled like mnemonic, or click the link in the show notes, subscribe to that show, leave a rating and a review to help us get the word out and promote this show for your learning benefit. So here is a little music for your enjoyment, which should give you enough time to leave a review in the app, unless you're driving, of course, for the Medical Nemesis podcast and or both of our shows, the Study Smarter series and this podcast, if you are so inclined. Helps us get the word out, and we greatly appreciate it. After you've left your review, stay tuned for an important message.
All right, this is an appeal. Hopefully you guys have noticed over the past couple years as I've been doing this, that I'm pretty real. At least I try to be honest with you guys and uh, let you know what's going on in my life when there are, of course, delays, uh, as we've seen in some of the things we've tried to get out to you. A lot of that is due to the fact that Inside the Boards podcasts have really grown much beyond what I, Patrick Beeman, alone can do, which is why we've brought on a number of team members. This takes about a full-time job every week, and all of the time that I have free during my time in the hospital, I'm also working on ITB. As of now, we we don't really make a lot of money, frankly, enough to cover our podcast hosting and some of the um, equipment and paying our people to edit the podcast and or edit questions for the audio cue bank. So as you can imagine, it's a lot of work, but it's worthwhile. And for my part, it's what keeps me going and helps prevent me from becoming burnt out because I'm able to contribute and create to provide value to medical students and to find encouragement myself from you guys, as well as hopefully encourage you. So if you're interested, we're reopening the ITB Ambassador program. Basically, there are a number of jobs, if you will, uh, that we're asking for volunteers with some benefits like free access to the audio cue bank in exchange for a couple hours of your time each month. Principally, we need help with editing the audio cue bank, social media type tasks like creating posts on our Facebook or Instagram page, becoming a Reddit ambassador, all sorts of creative type artistic and graphic design needs, outreach and collaboration, sending emails to people to get the word out about our podcast, and helping with the production and background side of the ITB podcast. There's tons of stuff we could use help with. We'll do our best to make it worth your while, both in terms of what we give back And of course, it'd be another bullet point on your residency applications that you've been involved in this medical education free open access platform to help your fellow students succeed in medical school. If you're interested, send an email to info at insidetheboards.com. And as always, thank you so much for your support. That's all we have for today. In the upcoming weeks, we'll be releasing the Step 1 postmortem series with Stuart and myself. And once more, thanks to the band Knights, that's Knights with Two Eyes, and Sun Pedal Recordings for letting us use the song So Into You off Knights' newly released album, Hellebores Part 1. You can check them out wherever you stream music, or click the link in the show notes to hear more on Spotify.